to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Dear 2022, your personal happiness is actually not God's priority. In fact, it might not even be in his top 10 list of priorities. Now, I know that for some of you, you hear that and that might be incredibly depressing. In fact, that might be incredibly disturbing. You might even be asking yourself, why on earth am I here then if God is not interested in my personal happiness? And here's the thing, it's depressing and it's disturbing to so many of us, mostly because we live in a culture where our personal happiness is paramount. In fact, it is the end-all, be-all of everything, where our personal happiness dictates almost every single arena of our lives. It determines what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. If it doesn't make me happy, I'm not doing it. If it does make me happy, I'm going to do it regardless of the consequences or the cost. It determines who we are willing to be in relationships and who we cut out of relationship because if the relationship is not personally fulfilling or doesn't do it for me or no longer has the flair that I was hoping for, I'm out because I'm not happy anymore in the relationship. Happiness now determines our ethics and morality. That if it makes me happy, it must be good and moral. If it doesn't make me happy, it cannot be ethical. In fact, it's probably abusive and dangerous if it doesn't somehow make me happy in the end. So right and wrong even is now determined based on how it makes me feel in the moment. If it makes us unhappy, we're either going to do it or not going to do it. It determines so much of our life today. And because this worldview is something that we are just swimming in, it is circling around us, it is constantly informing us through all kinds of avenues and outlets that we assume that because the world around us is informing us that our personal happiness is paramount, that it's everything to everyone, that God also has the exact same view about this that we assume that God is interested in the exact same thing. So it moves from, hey, I really only invest my time and energy into things that make me happy to God would never want me to invest my time and energy into things that make me unhappy. Or the only thing that God would ever ask me to do, of course, would be the things that when I do them, I feel blissful and happy and joyful in the middle of it. It moves from, hey, I'm not gonna be in relationships where I am unfulfilled to, of course, God would never ask me to step into a relationship that is inconvenient. God would never ask me to stay in a relationship that didn't make me happy. He'd he'd never ask me to stay in a friendship or in a marriage or in a job where I wasn't completely fulfilled 100% of the time and it did me every single time well. And of course, it moves from I do what I want to if the ethics of the scriptures don't make me happy, we've obviously misinterpreted them. And so they need to be reinterpreted to fit my happiness. And that he'd never, ever have me experience unhappiness in this life. He'd never want me to experience anything but my personal bliss. And so we look at God now like a personal curator of our happiness. 
like a concierge from our, for our lives, informing us of all the beautiful things that he wants us to do so that we can get the satisfaction out of life that we deserve. Now, I don't say this as someone who's accusing. I say this as someone who recognizes it in myself, as someone who says, oh, no, 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 I get this and how easy it is to fall into this. And I usually have two tests to inform me if I have made out God to be my personal happiness concierge in life. And the first test is this, is that if I find myself in chronic and persistent complaints about who God is and what he's doing, if I find myself constantly complaining about what God's doing for me or not doing for me, about what he's doing in the world around me, it informs me that I have set up God in some way to be the concierge of my happiness. When I find myself mad that he has done something in the world or in my life, or he hasn't done something in the world, or he hasn't done something in my life, I find myself already stuck in that place. And it's usually connected to some circumstance that if he did or didn't do this, it's connected to something that was going to make me happy or something that's happening that is making me unhappy. And I find myself saying, God, why aren't you fixing them? Or God, why aren't you changing the finances? Or God, why aren't people showing up the way that they're supposed to? Or God, why is my life the way that it is? In fact, when it's boiled down, this complaint is basically saying we don't like the way that God has established the playing field of life that we found ourselves in. That he should have done something differently because whatever he's doing is not very happy. David, in the scriptures, did a lot of complaining, which is one of the things I really like about the Psalms, is when you read through the Psalms, he's, he's constantly like, God, where are you? Why have you done this? You, you clearly messed up when you didn't show up on this battlefield or when you allowed my enemies to overtake me in this area. I love that he's in a constant, honest conversation with God. But what I love about David is that even in his complaints, his arc of his conversation goes back to, and I get it. Your God and your ways are higher than my ways. But see, it's the chronic complaining that actually reveals the heart. See, because at the heart of it, what it actually says, if I was God, I would do things differently. If I was in control of this, I would completely rearrange the furniture here in a way that would make me happy. And so that's the first test that I find myself in. Actually, the second test is actually quite interesting because the test that informs me that I have found myself in a place where I've set up God to make my life happy is that I actually don't struggle with any of the ethics or the morality of the scriptures. There's actually no struggle left in the things that he's asked me to do because I have either excused or interpreted away anything that would impede my happiness. That God would never ask me to do something or to refine my life in a way that would impede upon my happiness. Let me just tell you, I know I'm not supposed to say this as a pastor, but there are things in the Bible that I don't like. There are things in the scriptures when I read it and I instantly go, that shouldn't be in there. That he should not have set up life this way. That this is not the way that the world should operate. See, because here's the thing, when you read through the scriptures, what they often give is incredibly inconvenient guidance for life. In fact, I would say like 90% of what they say is incredibly inconvenient when it comes to our own happiness. Like when it says, hey, deny yourself. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that it says, hey, 
you know all those desires within you? There's some of them that you ought to deny so that you can actually step into the path that I've called you into. I do not like that. I do not like at all that it says, forgive your enemies. I would much, I, I mean, I'd much rather it just say, heap burning coals on the heads of your enemies. Not that forgiveness is the pathway to heaping burning coals on the head of your enemies. I love the burning coals part. I hate the forgiveness part in there. I do not like the turn the other cheek conversation. That when someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. That when someone asks you for your coat, also give them your shirt. That when someone asks you to walk a mile or forces you to walk a mile, you walk too. I don't like that. It's inconvenient. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, let alone sexual ethics and financial practices and parenting. It's a mess when you look at it. And if I read this and I feel no rub or wrestle, I know that something's off. See, the scriptures aren't designed to make you happy, but equally, God is not actually up to that. He's not interested in your personal happiness. They naturally conflict with our drive for comfort. The scriptures naturally con conflict with our drive for control. The, scripture, the scriptures will just naturally conflict with our own ego and attempt to look a certain way in the world around us. Now here's the crazy thing. We are living in a world that says, do whatever makes you happy. But study after study after study has shown that we are living in the most unhappy generation in the last 50 years. In fact, the latest study that was done, a long-standing study by a very well-renowned psychological association that has been doing this study since 1972, has found that we, as Americans specifically, have hit an all-time low of happiness with only 14% of Americans saying that they find themselves truly happy. That's almost 10% of the population that say they find themselves in a space of happiness. And this study has been going since 1972. Now, you look back to 1972 and you think there were a lot more restrictions on people back then. There was not a lot of freedom to do whatever you want and to say whatever you need to and to do whatever you need to do. In fact, things were much more confined, refined, restricted in our society at that time. So you would think that as we've released all of our inhibitions and been able to do whatever we want with our lives and do whatever is needed to make us happy, that we would become more happy. But the fact of the matter is, is that it has been in steady decline ever since then. And on top of that, unhappiness has been skyrocketing at an all-time high. See, we, we have assumed wrongly that if someone is unhappy, the solution is doing more of what you want to do. The problem is that what makes you happy and what makes you whole are often very different things. See, what makes you happy and what makes you content and fulfilled and free and powerful, even joyful, are very, very different things in life. So you can excuse or pursue what, you can like exclusively pursue what makes you happy in life. The problem is, is that when it's gone, you have to find something else to get your fix. That, that when you pursue happiness and that thing is no longer there or it no longer does it for you or it no longer fulfills you in some way, shape or thing, it's off to the next thing. So now I have to find another person or I have to find another community or I have to find another politician or I have to find another pint of ice cream to figure out 
how to keep this happiness thing going. And I guarantee you it will eventually turn into, I just need to find another God. And there are plenty of gods who are willing to take the place. See, I think that God is actually up to something far more profound than our happiness in this life. Something that is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Juan mentioned TikTok. I watch a lot of TikTok, which makes me happy. And um, if you've ever spent hours on TikTok, not that I have, but if theoretically you have, you'll find that you find yourself in various like communities of TikTok. You'll find yourself on wine TikTok or knitting TikTok or gardening TikTok. And for a while I found myself on rock tumbling TikTok. I don't know how I got there, but I found myself there. And it was quite fascinating because these people who do rock tumbling would take these rocks that they would find outside and they were nasty and dirty and gritty. And you would look at them and think there's nothing special about these rocks. And then they would put them into this rock tumbler and they'd put them in there with water and sometimes chemicals and a lot of other really rough substrate. And they would put them in there for weeks at a time and they would just tumble. And that whole time, the substrate and the water and the chemicals were rubbing against the rocks, rubbing off all the rough edges, smoothing them clean. And it was so amazing to see the reveal two, three, four weeks later when they pull them out and these rocks that before were so ugly that you would never ever even consider to be valuable, they'd pull them out and they'd be gemstones that would be like jewelry quality after that. But it required this long, painful process of taking these ugly rocks and turning them into something so beautiful. It took the grit to refine them. See, what if God was actually more interested in refining your life than he was with your happiness so that at the end, you might actually come out exponentially more beautiful than when you started in the process, shaping you into the woman or man that he'd actually designed dreams, longs for you to be. And let me just tell you, while the process is generally not fun, it will make you whole. It will make you beautiful. It takes off all of the jagged edges and the, the rough exterior and all of the confusion and it cleanses out the impurities and heals the wounds that were unhealable or at least seem that way. And here's the thing. You may think to yourself, is this a worthy exchange, my happiness for wholeness? Is this a worthy exchange to change a happy life for a refined life? I, I remember a few years back when I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with high blood pressure and he said, you gotta give up coffee. And I said, I don't know if that's a thing. And he said, well, would you rather have high blood pressure or would you rather have coffee? And I, out of my mouth, I answered, that's easy, coffee, right? <laughs> I, I think he was hoping that he would scare me into saying, oh, please, I will give up coffee. But I think that sometimes when we look at this conversation, we have the same thought. Am I really up for giving up my own personal happiness 
or at least the pursuit of this for a refined life. See, but here's what I love that Peter tells us in the scriptures is the byproduct of a life that is willing to give up momentary, per, per, momentary happiness for the refining process that Jesus is actually interested in setting us free into. He says this, is that you will be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's the exchange. See, he doesn't actually just say, give up your happiness and you will be put in a rock tumbler, right? (laughs) And he doesn't even say, give up your happiness and you'll be beautiful at the end. What he does say is that what I will exchange your happiness for is joy. And not just joy, but inexpressible, glorious joy. Because joy is a state of the heart that is not connected to circumstances. It is not connected to things that are happening around you or in you or people or possessions or even the ups and downs of emotions. It is an eternal, eternal, internal strength that comes from knowing who you are and who Jesus is and being willing to go through the process of looking like him and allowing him to work out the beautiful life that he has designed you to live because joy is lasting and it moves through anything that he throws at us. One of the things that I I am so convinced of is who God is as provider in our lives. See, one of the names that the scriptures uses for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, which means God who provides. And what I stand on And I have to, because if I get off of this, my life gets wonky. But when I stand on it, things seem to make sense is that God is always, 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 always providing. That there is never a moment where he's not providing. In in fact, it is out of his nature to not provide. It is impossible for him to not provide in life. So here's the problem, is that he actually isn't always providing for your happiness. And so when we're looking out through that lens and saying, God, where's the provision? I don't feel happy right now. I don't see the provision. My life doesn't feel fulfilled. I don't have that warm tingly inside of my stomach, right? Where are you in the middle of this? When we find ourselves there, we assume that he is withholding from us and that he has stepped out of his place as Jehovah Jireh provider because we can't see how the provision provides for our happiness. But see, what would happen if we actually stopped looking for him to provide for our happiness and start looking for how he was providing for our refining? Like if we just looked out at the circumstances and go, God, in this relationship that feels like hell right now, how are you attempting to refine me? God, in this financial wreckage over here, how are you attempting to refine me? In this internal struggle with the anxiety or the depression or the hopelessness or the not seeing way, how are you providing right now to refine, to transform, to cut off all the wretched edges, to heal, to redeem, to restore in the middle of this? Because I think if we started looking for the places where he was longing to refine us, we would find that he is being so generous in life and that there would be so much provision that we might miss. See, here's the thing is that the movement of Jesus in transforming our lives into his likeness isn't always fun. It doesn't always make you happy. But at the end of the day, you will have something that at least 86% of Americans are looking for. And that is inexplainable and glorious joy. 
and that will be your inheritance in this. So what I'd love for you to do is find two or three people around you and ask these questions. What is something that Jesus may be calling you into that doesn't necessarily make you happy, but you know will result in a more beautiful life? could be an area in your physical life. It could be an area in your thought life. It could be a relationship. It could be a circumstance that you find yourself in that you are just resisting and saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to start this. Maybe it's something that you need to stop. And he's like, hey, would you be willing to lay this down? And you're like, this isn't going to make me happy, but I know it's going to make me more beautiful. And then ask, what must you overcome to let go of that and start the process? So like, what must you like let go of or overcome in order to say, I'm starting today to start this process of stepping into his refining life so that I might have inexpressible and glorious joy. All right, find someone around you and have that conversation. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.